We are in a series through First John talking about true faith in a post-truth world. We live in an era and in, in a time where truth is somewhat relative. Several weeks ago on Easter, we talked about the claims of Christ and that did he really come uh, physically in bodily form? And we, we looked at that from First John. And then we looked last week at verse 5 of chapter 1 that God is light. And in him is no darkness. And what does that mean? And, and so when you, when, what we're going to look at today is going to be about examining the truthfulness of your faith. The truthfulness or the, the legitimacy of your faith. Now that's a kind of an offensive thought really in a lot of ways. Because who am I or who is anybody else to insinuate that there might be some lack of truthfulness behind your or my or anybody else's faith? I mean, who am I to say, or who's anybody else to say that they might know better than you do where you are spiritually or where you need to be or what is authentic faith? And I've kind of taken a couple definitions we've looked at over the last several weeks on post-truth and on truthiness and merged those into it. Post-truth spirituality, what is that? A spirituality not rooted in biblically informed orthodox and transcendent truth. Now, here's what I mean by that. Biblically informed, meaning it's informed by the Bible. Orthodox, meaning it's kind of an established, um, if it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. Orthodox is not necessarily, I don't know what that means for you. Um, if that's like some kind of churches with big hats and robes and cathedrals, where that's not what that means. It means to to uh, be straight with truth, to, to cut straight. So orthodoxy, to say somebody believes in orthodoxy means that they believe in what is established, revealed truth. Okay, And so when somebody has some new idea and new truth, again, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And so... Um, and then transcendent truth, meaning that it's it's beyond us, it's outside of us, that there is truth outside of us. And so, again, spirituality, post-truth spirituality is a spirituality not rooted in biblically informed, orthodox, and transcendent truth, but rather one's personal perceptions, emotions, and how they feel about things, what they perceive to be true, and then their experiences that they've had. These form a preferred and self-determined reality. One wishes to be true regardless of supernaturally revealed and authenticated concepts and facts one may know to be true. What you might know to be true based upon God's transcendent truth, based upon uh, orthodoxy, based upon what the Bible says, doesn't matter because your self-perception this is what post-truth spirituality says. Your self-perception, your feeling about what is true and what's not true is far more important than any truth outside of you. Who's to say any truth outside of you is right or wrong or whatever? That doesn't matter. You determine truth for you. You determine true spirituality for you. It's your job to figure that out. Now, here's what the problem is, and this is how this connects into 1 John. In 1 John, there was a group of people just like this that believed in Gnosticism, and Gnosticism, Gnosis, is a word for knowledge. And uh, and so it's kind of the root word that we get knowledge from. So they had this secret belief, this secret revelation that they believed they had secret truths. And they determined, they could determine their own spirituality and the, the, the authenticity of their spirituality based upon their secret truths. And they have a whole bunch of different 
things that that went into. Um, and, and so John is going to confront three of the lies that came out of that. Verse five, again, God is light and in him is no darkness. Now, here's the thing about light. Light reveals what's hidden. Light exposes what's in darkness. You can't hide from light. You can't. There's no shadows in true light. And so to have a secret belief that other people don't have, to have a secret knowledge that other people don't have, to have it is not compatible with biblical Christianity because biblically God is light and in him is no secrets. Isn't that good? God doesn't have secrets. There's not things that you don't get to know. Now, God's the who God is is beyond our ability to completely understand, but that's not because God is hiding himself from us. It's just because we can't fully grasp who God is. And so that being said, understanding that today, here's the problem. If we're going to assess the truthfulness of our faith, if we're going to understand whether we have a post-truth spirituality or not, then there's a couple of things we have to understand. There's a misconception today that many professing Christians, and I, I, I say that in quote, professing Christians, people who say they're Christians, doesn't mean that they necessarily are, but they, they have professed in the past or presently to be Christians. And, and the misconception is that you can have fellowship with God basically on relatively easy terms. It's really not that big of a deal. I mean, if you, you know, if you like God and of course he'll like you and you just can kind of have fellowship with God, but the way you live and, and the, the life you live doesn't have to be backed up by what you profess to believe. That's separate. Those are separate issues. What you do physically and where you are with God spiritually are separate deals. Okay, that's separate things. We can separate those. And realize we really can't. That's the question. Can you separate them or are they intertwined? And so here's the false statements that they were believing in that day. Three statements of false religion. The first one, let me read the verses for you and then we'll we'll look at these. Verse 6. <clears throat> So God is light and in him is no darkness. Verse five, verse six. If we say that we have fellowship with God, with him, while we walk in darkness. So if we if we say that we have fellowship with him, we're good with God. God's good with me. And yet we're walking in darkness. Here's what it's this is what the text says. This is not me. Understand the things I'm saying are hard truths. I'm just going to tell you that right now. This is our stuff, tough stuff. And I, but I. I'm going to do the best I can to communicate what's here, but I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or doubt things or whatever, but I'm just giving you the truth. Okay, so here's the light. We're flipping the light on of God's truth. What does it say? It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, well, then we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we say that we walk in the light as he is in the light, well, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all Sin. <clears throat> Second thing he mentions, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's the second lie. Verse 1. Say we have fellowship, yet we walk in darkness. That's a lie. If we say that we have no sin, then we're deceiving ourselves. Truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. And then in verse 10, if we say, this is the third lot, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not 
in us. So again, the first phrase, verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him, you know, we walk in darkness. That's that's a lie. If we say that we don't have sin, we're deceived. And if we say that we have not sinned, that, that well, I don't have any sin, nor have I in the past sinned or in the present will I sin. Sin is not even a part of me. Then then that is also now. Now we're not just a liar, but we're making God to be a liar. So we go from denying with our lives, walking in darkness and, and we're lying uh, to trying to be deceptive, saying we really don't have sin, to actually calling God a liar by saying, I never have sin and I never will. Sin's not a part of my life. Whatever I do or don't do, who's to say it's sin? I've got secret knowledge and I, would, I have a spirituality that I don't perceive it to be sin. And so I have, um, I honestly am a really good person and I don't really understand why you would think I was a bad person. That's awfully sinful and judgmental of you. Judge not lest you be judged. Right. That's kind of how that thought progression goes. So so let's dive into these a little deeper. Try to make them practical. Three statements of false religion. First one is you can follow Jesus without living like Jesus. One statement of false religion is that you can follow Jesus without living like Jesus. You don't have to live like Jesus. It's not it's not necessary to live like Jesus. You can follow Jesus. You can be a Christian. You can be a follower of Christ. You can be a disciple of Jesus without your life reflecting that. That's a negotiable. Following Jesus, that's important. Your life looking like it, negotiable. Doesn't really matter. That's a secondary, it doesn't really matter. And what he's saying is that is a lie. Let's look at verse 6. Again, if we have fellowship while we walk in darkness, the attitude of mind that results in certain actions and choices to sin. Sometimes you're, you're confronted with temptations. On a regular basis, you're confronted with temptations what do you do? How do you respond to those? Now, this is not an implication of this is not that you have to be perfect or you will be perfect because you won't. As the closer you get to God, this is the principle we'll see throughout this passage. The closer you get to God, the more he's going to expose the sin. OK, so that's that's a progressive process. But when sin is exposed, are there certain choice sins in your life that are just that's just part of your life? And it's just. There is no progression of maturity, but it is the way it is. And you have, there's, there's no power to change those things. If that's true, if there's certain actions and choices, you choose to sin. When confronted with a choice between obeying God or choosing the sin, you, you always choose the sin. <clears throat> not sometimes, not occasionally, not every once in a while you make a mistake, but I mean like you're, you're going to choose the sin. If it's a choice between God and the sin, then then what's really your God? What are you really bowing down to? If you say that you have uh, fellowship with God and you walk in darkness, then there's, there's a problem. When faced with a choice between God and certain sins, do you and will you always choose the sin? If, if so, that is a concern about the authenticity and the truthfulness of your faith in your relationship with God. If we do these things, we lie and we do not practice the truth. It means to do the truth. It meant to live righteously. It means, it means to have fruit of repentance. It means not to be perfect, but to be growing. And so if we walk in the light, by, by contrast, if we're walking in the light, in other words, we have a, a conscious and a sustained effort to live a life that reflects the light. Like there's an ongoing progression in our lives where, where there is a, a constant desire and fight to live a life 
that is consistent with the light that we profess to know, with the God who is light? Do you you have a life that reflects a desire and an effort to live a life that is consistent with the faith that you profess? If, if not, then there, that's a concern. We, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. More than, more than it forgiving it, it's, it's erasing. Cleansing is in a picture of erasing. It, it eradicates it. It removes and erases that sin. Fellowship with God, fellowship with one another is another evidence of having authentic faith. The reality is most of us don't walk in the light and we really don't want the light. We don't want somebody getting in our face and pointing stuff out. We do not receive criticism well. I can't tell you the number of times where, uh, you know, you, you get into a point in a friendship or whatever and eventually if anybody you spend time with, at, at a certain point of time, you're going to come to an awareness of their sin and they're going to come to an awareness of your sin. And in a legitimate body of believers where we are not we were committed to not being hypocrites we're committed to really loving each other unconditionally that's an environment where we're saying it's just a no mask zone where we can take our masks off because when we take the masks off it's we're going to see each other for who we are and so we're all like yeah we should just love each other the way we are and we shouldn't have to you know let's just love each other with our junk well is that really loving i mean is it really loving if I've got some like obvious sin in my life and you don't care about that, do you love me? No, you don't. Proverbs just is abundantly clear throughout the Proverbs. Just do a reading of Proverbs and you'll see throughout there's an ongoing theme of truth versus lies. And there's an ongoing theme of faithful is the wound of a friend. Faithful is the wound of a friend. A friend that's willing to get in your face and tell you the truth and risk the friendship because they love you more than they love you loving them. Okay, they, they want to be faithful to God, but with the right heart. I mean, not a judgmental heart, but I mean, like a like a legitimate, they really love you. Uh, and, and they're willing to get in your face and to say some hard things. Do you receive it? Do you like that? Are you thankful for that? Or or do you go, you know what, I don't really appreciate it. What kind of friend are you to judge me? You see, if we walk with Christ, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. So here's the beauty. You can talk about my sin all you want. It's all right. Confront me. Point it out. Worth and my value is not in my perfection. It's in Christ. Or I can point to the sufficiency of Christ and my need for him. And I can grow in that. So I don't have to hide in darkness. I can grow in being more honest. Now, am I there yet? No, it's still uncomfortable. I don't like people pointing at my sin. You don't like people pointing at your sin. We're always uncomfortable. But I also know at the same time, faithful is the wounds of a friend. And I love a person who's willing to get in my face and point my junk out and be able to point stuff out to where I can, I can look for God's grace. So have you ever gotten somebody in your face and, and they, they pointed stuff out and they, and it, and they were wrong. They were just being judgmental. Yeah, that's happened many times. What do you, what do you do? Well, I uh, just have to be prayerful about it. Take it to the Lord. Thank you for sharing those things. I appreciate that. Thank you for caring enough to say those things. And uh, and then I pray about it. And I, I assess it and ask God's spirit to reveal what's true about the things they're saying and what's false. I, often when people confront you, there's often, uh, there's some like truth there. And then there's some like wounds and some jabs and some knives 
often because sometimes we're confronted by people less mature. And so there's, there's, but I, I try even in that situation to not just go, you know what? They're not even spiritual enough to even, I just say, okay, maybe there's something there I need to hear. Maybe there's something I need to have. So God, just put the light on me. I don't have to hide. I don't have to deny. I don't have to fight. I don't have to run. Just put the light on me. What, what am I not seeing here that they're seeing rightly or wrongly? And then I just yield that stuff to Christ because then I can have fellowship with them because I have fellowship with God because the blood of Christ cleanses me from all sin. That's what it means. But a false religion, a false a statement of false faith, a statement of false religion, a statement of false spirituality is that you can follow Jesus without living like Jesus. The second one in verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. and The truth is not in us. What, is, what does this mean? This means we're not in need. This is the person says that we're not in need of Jesus' forgiveness. I really don't need Jesus' forgiveness. I don't need Jesus' forgiveness. Uh, following Jesus can be spiritual reality without being a physical reality. It, it, it's, it's, I follow Jesus in my heart. What I do and don't do, look, we're all messed up in, in, in our flesh. We make mistakes and we're born that way. It doesn't really matter. What you do with your body is, is separate. This is the lie. What you do with your body is separate from who you're, from your soul, from your spirit. That's, that's the lie. Many people believe. It's a person who Jesus' sacrifice is of no need because they do not see themselves as truly having sin in their spirit, in their soul, but only in their body. I mean, the things I do, I make mistakes because I'm born this way. And so, uh, I, you know, I make mistakes just like you make mistakes. We're all born sinful and we do stuff, but that's not really who I am. I mean, who I am is really good and pure and holy and wonderful and amazing. And I'm really not a bad, I'm really a good person. Deep down inside, I'm really a wonderful, amazing, spectacular, beautiful, glorious person. And, and therefore, I really frankly don't need God because quite frankly, he's to blame for the junk in my life because he made me this way. I'm born with a messed up physical whatever, but spiritually I'm good and I don't need Jesus because I'm good without him. And so to the degree Jesus can come along next to me and make me feel better about myself and be an add-on that's a nice little side little thing that just, you know, there's, there's, I mean, I'm really a good person. Plus I've got Jesus. That's great. But to say that I really ultimately need Jesus, no. Because one of the statements of false spirituality is that we are not in need of Jesus' forgiveness because we're really not that bad. And, and he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, for them, it was really clear. It was a, back then, what John's confronting, they had a separation between the physical body and the spiritual, their soul. Okay, those were separate deals. And so what they did physically doesn't matter. What they, who they are spiritually is what really matters. The physical is, is all bad and worldly and sinful. The spiritual is what's really good. And so they just have to put up with the physical, but really who they are is the spiritual. You see, that's crazy. People don't think that today. Do, do they not? Do we not do the same thing? We separate. I'm really not a bad person. You don't understand. I'm really a good person. You don't understand. I'm really, I'm really a loving person. I'm a kind person. I'm a this person. I'm a that person. And we go through all these different ways to establish our own righteousness to people. This is one of the primary reasons why people go into ministry. It's because they're going to establish their own righteousness because they're really a good person. And they're going to show God they're a good person by serving him and doing a bunch of things. This is the reason why people go into psychology. Because, because they've got a lot of problems and challenges and different things, but they, but they figure that I'm going to figure myself through this and I'm going to, I can, I can somehow mentally understand where I came from, what happened, whatever, and I can separate all of the stuff outside me that has influenced me and caused me to be kind of bad and do different things. All the outside influences that has corrupted my, in, my, uh, inherent goodness that I was born with. 
This is the this is behind our education system. This is behind our uh, most people's parenting. This is behind prison systems and everything. It's it's that you know what? Basically, all of us are good, good people. With in a bad, bad world. And what we just need is better influences and then we'll all be good behavior modification. If we can just modify people's behavior, if I can just get my kids to obey all the time, then they're good. No, that's not true biblically. They're not good. Just because your kids obey all the time and never cause problems doesn't mean they're good and doesn't mean that they are saved and doesn't mean that they're Christians, doesn't mean they're not in need of Christ. That is a lie we raise our kids with and it results in kids that grow up thinking that they don't need Jesus' forgiveness because they're really not bad. They're really good people. Do you see the connection here? And so if we just educate, they just need more information. That's what they need. They just need more money. That's what they need. They just need more um, things from our, our government or they need more uh, whatever. They just, well, they were just given a bad situation. And so we give them a better situation. We take away from them, we give to them, then that'll fix their situation. Then they'll be better people. The problem with society is, according to this false belief, the bad stuff outside of us that has corrupted who we really are, which is good, wonderful, special perfect people that have been affected by the outside world. And the Bible says that is a lie. We say we have fellowship with him, walk in darkness. It's a lie. Verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let me hit verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the third lie is that we are not really sinners. That's the third lie. We are not really sinners. Again, I really don't sin. I'm really a good person. The the third lie is again, and I've already kind of explained it and explained the last one. There's two elements of it. One, I I don't have any sin in my life. I'm really a good person. The second one is I, I really am not a sinner. I don't sin because I'm a sinner. Because number one, I don't, I don't really sin. I'm really a good person. And number two, I'm really not a sinner. I'm, I wasn't born that way. I'm really born inherently good. And what he's saying is if we have not sinned, if we say we have not sinned, indicating that we, we don't do it. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. His word is not in us. If I could summarize this, how do we uh, deal with sin? Um, two ways. The proper response to sin God reveals in us is not to deny it, but it is to admit it. And that's what verse 9 says. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, the word confess, literally it means the same words. Same words. Okay? If we say the same thing about ourselves that God says about us, if we admit, in other words, we agree with God, we say the same thing, we admit that we really are sin- sinners, we, we really did do that thing that was bad, or we really are that bad. We, have you come into the light? Have you come into the light where you're willing to allow God to put his light on you for you to see really how bad you are? That your problems are not your parents. 
Your problems are not your environment. Your problem isn't your education, lack of education. Your problem isn't your economic situation. Your problem isn't external stuff. Your problem is not your siblings. Your problem is not your job. Your problem is not your neighbors. Your problem is not your whatever. Your problem is you. You are your biggest problem. Admit it. Agree. Come up with the same words that God has for you. You have problems. In fact, he doesn't call them problems. He calls them actually sin. Sin means that you have missed the mark. That's what that means. You have missed the mark. In fact, there's two terms for sin. This specifically is we're using sin where it talks about you missed the mark. It's kind of like shooting at a target, but perfection. And, and no matter what you do, you're going to miss it. The arrow is always, <laughs> it's never going to hit the bullseye. It'll never happen. You'd be lucky if you hit the board, but you're never going to hit the bullseye. It's not gonna, and the other term is transgression, which means that God has a way and we've stepped outside of it. Both of them are true about us. We have stepped outside of God's ways. And, and, and the other problem is we are a bubble off. I'm trying to build a um, little storage building behind my house. And in the process of it, it's really frustrating because I've lived on a slope or we have our backyard sloped. And so it's like I can never get it just right. I mean, and whatever I do, I've got four stacks of cinder blocks. And I'm trying to get them level and I'm putting sand. And I'm trying to get and then I put the level out. And it's always just a little bit off. And when I fix one, then it's off the other way. And I just, I can't get it level. And I really don't care, to be honest. I don't really care. I'm, I'm, I'm just like a, I'm like a, a tenth of a bubble off. And I'm just really, I'm willing to live with that. If that's all right with you. But you know, that's the way we live our lives. It's like we're out there and we're trying to get it. And we're trying to get it just right. And so some of you are obsessive compulsive about trying to be perfect. And you are legalistic by nature. And you're trying to get it figured. And you're going to somehow get that thing. Le- and you're just kind of constantly going back between column to column. Trying to figure out and then moving all the blocks. And then sanding it. I mean, putting the sand spreading it right. And then putting them all back. And then, you get it, and then you're like, okay, I know this is going to be it. This is going to be it. This is gonna be it. <laughs> wrong again and then you go and you go on this side and you're working and it just it's never going to get you'll never get it because you're sin man you're born with a bent towards wickedness and in your it's called the total depravity of sin it means that your measurement is always going to be a bubble it'll never be straight it'll never be straight you never can fix this just admit it just admit it come into the light and stop staying out there trying to get it his name it's not going to work and some of us just live in denial of it and we just go, no, it's not really true. Uh, th- that's the reality is, is that we need to stop denying it, but just admit it. Just admit it. Confess. And here's why I say that. Why should you confess this? Because he's faithful. God is faithful. He is reliable. You can trust him. He's faithful. To what? To forgive your sins. The fact that God does what he says he will do. Interestingly enough, the faithfulness of God, I don't think is a hard concept for us because it's not difficult for people to, to, to look at God and say he's faithful. And here's why. It's because for God to be faithful to forgive us is to only be expected because God is nice and we're really not that bad. And so, you know, I mean, God's nice and we're really not that bad. And so that kind of meets in the middle. And of course, God would be faithful to us because we're really not that bad. And he's really super nice. And so um, therefore, uh, at least, you know, we didn't break any of the, the major rules. I mean, we're really good people. But but the second statement, he's faithful. Not only is he faithful, but he's also just. What does that mean? Well, just means that's the hard one for us to understand. Justice, we see justice situationally. 
We want justice in a situation, right? It might be a political cause. It might be an economic cause. It might be an education cause. It might be whatever. We want justice in this area, that area, or whatever. But we don't see justice as being, um, we, we see it situationally. We don't see justice as being absolute. We don't want absolute justice. We don't want God to be completely fair and just across the board because then we all will get swept into the reality that we're all a bubble off and we all will be judged for the fact that we are not level in our perfection and we have all sinned. And so we don't want justice, truly. We want it situationally. We do not want it absolutely. We just want it in certain areas that are important to us. But God is light and in him is no darkness. And so God doesn't... God being light doesn't have certain areas that he illuminates and certain areas he doesn't. He illuminates it all and he sees all imperfections, all shadows, all sin is exposed to God because God being light is his moral, pure, holy character exposes everything. And so when we look at God and say, man, he is just what that means. It's huge. What that means is that God will punish all sin, big, small, because we really are that bad and we really are unjust in and of ourselves. You know what? You are not faithful. I'm not faithful. But we say one thing, we do another. We commit to something, we follow through. We don't follow through. We we have intentions. We have motivation. We have uh, heart. You know, I mean, how often do we, you know, I'm it's my heart of heart. I didn't mean to be, I mean, I really, I really, I really am not a bad, I really intended to say, I really meant, well, you don't understand what I mean. We, we find ways to justify, there's that word again, legally, to say we're really not that bad. And, and instead of just walking into the light and saying, God, I can't justify myself. I can't. Will you justify me? And he has. And he's done it in two two ways. The first thing is he has forgiven our sins. Meaning he has released the debt that we have owed. He has paid for the debt we have owed against him and the second thing is he has removed the stain it says that he is just to forgive our sins and secondly to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so god has forgiven our sins and he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness that the cleansing means that god has removed the stains he's washed it it's gone he's removed it he paid the debt and he removed the stains. It's like, in my illustration, I mean, he leveled it and built it. It's done. And I can't do anything to add of it. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, God, I, I mean, I did some of, no, you didn't. You, you, what you built wasn't going to work. I, I, I did it. And you can go live in it. You can go dwell in it. You can go enjoy it. You can enjoy it. But just remember, I get the credit. You don't get the credit. You could have never built that. I built this. I have forgiven your debt. I have removed your stains. And so the, the reality is that false spirituality is, is, the, is the, the lie that professing Christians can have fellowship with God on easy terms. That we can, we can just kind of hang out with God and God loves us because we're so lovable and nice. And, and, and then we try to live in that reality. And that reality is that's a lie. And so to, to move past that, let me just summarize it this way. And this is a summary of all false religion. It does two things. Number one, it excuses man's actions and sins. False religion excuses man's sinful actions. 
In other words, you can have fellowship with God and be good with God without the need of going to the cross for forgiveness from sins. It excuses man's actions. Basically, you can blame it on other people. Blame it on other people. Blame it on circumstances. Blame it on the way you were born. Blame it on other people's perception. Blame it on the judgmentalness of hypocritical this or that. Or blame it on... But you, false religion excuses man's actions and sins. You, let me give you an example. I, you can look at Buddhism. You can look at Hinduism. You can look at whatever. And they're going to give you a list of rules to live by. False religions are, are full of lists. Just do these things and you'll be good. As if you could do those things. And they give things that you think you can accomplish. And what people do, even with Christianity, is they there's lots of perversions of Christianity where people have looked at other religions and thought, well, they've got lists and things they can do to justify themselves. We should come up with our own list. And so there's a lot of different groups that if you use a certain translation or if you attend church a certain number of times, if you give a certain percentage, if you did this, you do that, whatever, then you're justified. You're good. You might not have to travel to Mecca. You might not have to say, you know, um, you know, pray multiple times a day in a certain direction. You might not have to meditate. You might have to do it. But we have our list and we do this. And that's false religion. False religion says that man's actions and sins can be excused, either either kind of ignored or we'll give you some steps. A couple things. If you just say this many Hail Marys or if you just walk an aisle or, you know, uh, throw this or throw that or do this or do that, whatever, that, that'll, we can take care of it. The second trait of false religion is it diminishes God's holiness and its character. False religion always diminishes the holiness and the character of God. You can have fellowship with God. In other words, you could be good with God without pursuing or living an increasingly consistent righteous life. It said you just do what you want. It really doesn't, really doesn't matter. I mean, as long as you... As long as you try to, you know, try a little bit to be a good person, then, then God's cool with that. And what we're doing is we're saying that we can really be good enough. And we're saying that we're taking God's perfect holy standard and, and, and the fact that God is light and we're putting the dimmer switch on it and we're diminishing his light and we're elevating ourselves. And so there's a lot of sins that we just don't expose into the light because we don't really have that holy of a God. And we try to create a religion that is palatable based upon our preferences, based upon our self-perception of reality, based upon our emotional feelings of what God should be and shouldn't be. And it's a false religion. And it condemns people to hell. Al Mohler said this, Hell will be filled with people who were avidly committed to Christian values. Hell will be filled with people who were avidly committed to to Christian values. He goes on to say, we have the lowest common denominator Christianity being taught in so many denominations that has produced a people who simply do not know some of the most basic Christian truths. The most basic Christian truths, which is to say that since God is light, we cannot approach him. It's the reality. Since God is light, we cannot approach him with the hope of hiding our sins. The closer you get to God, the more visible your sin is going to become. The, the more you can grow in your awareness of your need, the more your, your sin is exposed, the more you can grow in your awareness of your need for the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. He has provided a perfect righteousness in his own life that's available for you. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. And, and so we hide in the darkness 
because we don't want our sin exposed when we should just walk freely into the light as painful as it might feel initially. Walk freely into the light and go, okay, I really am this bad. I'm really this bad. I need Jesus' goodness. And he gives us his goodness. And I need, and I'm trusting in his payment for my badness. And he's paid our debt. And I'm trusting in him to remove my sin and to cleanse me justly from all unrighteousness. And he removes our stain of sin, making us righteous. That is biblical Christianity. It, it is unique. Biblical Christianity is unique, and it's the last thought, in that it takes sin seriously as we are unable to hide it. Biblical Christianity, not cultural Christianity, not nominal Christianity, not, not churchianity, not southern Bible belt, whatever, not legalism, not, not moralism, but I mean, biblically, the, 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 the stuff that Jesus gave us in the Word he's revealed to us is it takes sin seriously because we're unable to hide it and it so it owns up to it i really am that bad and secondly it re, it recognizes that god has offered a the only satisfactory moral solution to the problem of sin god offers the only satisfactory moral solution to the problem of sin and that is the cross that is the cross i want to close with an illustration from pilgrim's progress there's uh, if you've not read this, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, this is the new Pilgrim's Progress, a little easier to understand um, for people like me. And uh, he, one of the things after he becomes a Christian, Christian becomes a Christian, is he meets, he goes to a guy's house called the Interpreter. He goes to the Interpreter. It's an allegory about the Christian life. I'm going to tell you, it's full of so much incredible wisdom. And so in in this, he goes to the Interpreter's house, and this is what it says. Then he took Christian by the hand and he led him, the Interpreter, to a very large parlor room. That was full of dust because it had never been swept. And after a little while, the interpreter called for a man to sweep. And when he began to do that, the dust flew around so abundantly that Christian almost choked on it. And then said the interpreter to a young woman who stood nearby, bring, uh, bring water and sprinkle the room. And when she had done this, it was pleasantly swept and cleansed. And so he says, uh, what does this mean? He says, well, the parlor is the heart of the man who has not yet been sanctified by the sweet grace of the gospel. The, the dust is his original sin and the inward corruptions that have defiled the whole man. He says, well, who is it that came in and started sweeping? Well, the one who came in sweeping was the one that was the law. The law comes in and begins to sweep. And while he does, it ends up stirring up the dust so it's even worse. You see more of it. So show that the law, instead of cleansing the heart by its working from sin, does revive, strengthen, and increase sin in the soul. Even it does discover, and even as it d- does discover and forbid it, exposes it, it condemns it, but it just pushes it around. For the law does not give power to subdue sin. And so what happens is in our lives, God's light comes into the room and it exposes the dust. And so we say, you know what, what we need is to clean this place up. We're gonna have to clean this place up. And so the law comes in and starts pointing stuff out and starts sweeping around and it just stirs it up and it gets worse and worse and it feels even worse. And then the gospel of grace comes in with a bucket of water and begins to sprinkle some water and it begins to collect the dust. And then now it's not just dry dust floating around, but it begins to be anchored into something. And then it is able to be clean and cleansed out. And so 
This is to show that when the sweet and precious influence of the gospel comes into the heart, then sin is vanquished and subdued and the soul may is made clean and consequently fit for the king of glory, the God of light to inhabit. The message is simple this morning. Put all this together. This is it. This is it. Simple. God forbid that you have been sold a pack of lies that you can live any way you want and it doesn't matter. That is a lie. If you live consistently inconsistent with the faith that you profess, then you have to question whether you have ever walked into the light, that you've ever truly confessed your sins and experienced the faithfulness and justice of God to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so I would encourage you, it's an emotional response. This is God, if, if His Spirit is moving upon you and you see in your life a question mark, I don't know that I know that I know that I have a relationship with Christ, well then don't walk away from that self-deluded, but just walk into the light. Take steps into the light. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? God's going to go, you know what? You, you know me. What are you, you're acting like you don't, you know me. You're just not enjoying the grace I've given. Or He's going to go, you don't know me. You don't know me. I, I don't want to give anybody a false assurance that they know Christ and they don't know Christ. But if your life is inconsistent because you deny that you're really that bad and you really don't think you really need Christ and you're just a religious, moral person or just searching spiritual, whatever, but not religious or whatever your categorical terms that you self-identify, fine. But, but I would encourage you to walk away from that, walk into Christ and walk to God who is light and allow him to expose the stuff in your life so that you can walk freely into the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and you can get out of the choking dust that is in your life. It can be removed by the gospel of grace as God's grace begins to cleanse what you will are powerless and I am powerless to cleanse. That is the hope we have. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would work a miracle in our hearts and lives. God, we cannot see how bad we are apart from your light. God, you are light and in you is no darkness. But yet the God of this world has darkened our eyes so that we can't even see that we're in darkness. So Father, there are people here tonight, this morning, that are in darkness and they don't even realize it. God, I'm asking you to flip the switch in their eye, in their in their hearts, in their minds, that they would see themselves for who they really are, that you would put the lights on in the room of their hearts so that they could see the dust that only Jesus' grace can remove and cleanse. And Father, that you would, through the cross, deal with sin rightly, justly, But I'm thankful, Father, that Jesus did not suffer needlessly on the cross, but provided the only remedy for our sins to be forgiven and to be cleansed. God, move in our hearts, Father, in this time of reflection and response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.